I uh, have been looking so forward to being here this morning, and uh, I'm tempted to spend a lot of time just talking about different people that I know, and I will just a little bit. I just can't help myself. Uh, Mark Street, where are you, Mark? Uh, Mark and you know, Mark and I knew each other in high school. Um, Tanya, where's Tanya? Tanya Williams. Tanya was in my youth group when I used to be a youth minister back in Memphis, way back in the long, long time ago. And uh, my son and his wife and their two boys are here. One of my daughters is here. My wife is here with me. I'll have to tell you this. Back in the 1970s, when I was a student at Lipscomb, Fourth Avenue was looking for a song leader. That's before anybody used the term worship leader, you know, just song leader. And so I came down here and tried out. I didn't get a call back. <laughs> and that's when I figured song leading was really not my thing. Uh, but I'm just so excited to be here this morning and uh, look forward to studying God's Word with you. Open your Bible, please, to Psalm 42. So grateful for the worship already that Mark has put together because all these songs that we have sung just speak so powerfully to the text that we have this morning from Psalms 42 and 43. Not quite five months ago, Russian military troops invaded the sovereign nation of Ukraine. And in the less than five months since that war started, thousands of Ukrainians have died. There's an estimated five million of them who are now refugees living in neighboring countries. Another seven million of them have stayed inside Ukraine, but they've been displaced from their homes. That's 12 million people who no longer can say that they can go safely home. Hundreds of Ukrainian soldiers are being held as prisoners of war. And many of those people are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't you know how desperately they want to go back home to a peaceful land? Those of us who have never lived as refugees cannot begin to imagine the pain and the suffering they're experiencing at this very moment. And their pain is not just physical pain. Sure, they've lost their homes, many of them have lost their lives, but they're also suffering emotionally and spiritually. I can't imagine being forced to live as a refugee or as a captive in a foreign land that's being occupied by people that have taken my home away from me. Today we're going to explore Psalms 42 and 43, which apparently were written by exactly the same author. We don't know who this author was, but whoever he was, he could have understood very easily what our Ukrainian brothers and sisters are suffering today. Psalm 42 verse 4 indicates, gives us some insight, we can deduce that this psalmist had been a worship leader in the temple in Jerusalem. And he had been forcibly taken as a captive to live in an, as an exile in a land far away from his beloved Jerusalem. He fondly remembers how life was for him and his people 
before Jerusalem fell. And so he yearns for the days that he had known before when he was able to lead throngs of people up to the temple in jubilant worship and thanksgiving. But those days are long gone. And he's in distress. And he doesn't know that those days will ever return again. So he's despondent. He's depressed. He's grieving. Psalms 42 and 43 are what we call psalms of lament. Most Americans don't know what to do with psalms of lament. We don't do well with psalms of lament because they are dark and they're melancholy and they're filled with expressions of tragic loss and deep sorrow. Psalms of lament deal with intense and troubling emotions, and they express an anguish of heart. Lament Psalms complain to God about the injustice that the writer is feeling in his own life, and they ask very hard questions. Questions like, why? Why are you allowing us to suffer like this, God? And when we're suffering, isn't that one of the questions we often ask, why? Those Psalms of Lament also ask very difficult questions like, how long? How long is it going to be, God, before you come to our rescue? Did you know that at least 20 different times in the Psalms, the psalmist, various psalmists will ask the question of why? At least 20 different times. But in these two little psalms, Psalm 42 and 43, nine of those 20 times occur in these two psalms. And the psalmist also will ask questions like, when? When are you going to come and deliver me, rescue me, come to my aid? You and I prefer psalms that are upbeat and comforting. Psalms like Psalm 23 that promise us of God's goodness and his guidance and his presence. We gravitate toward Psalms like Psalm 100, which talk about thanksgiving and praise to God as we come and we worship him with a sense of exuberance. We love those kinds of Psalms because they're feel-good Psalms. But then those Psalms that we come to that are psalms of lament. We don't spend much time there typically because those psalms are sad psalms. They bring us down psalms. But did you know that more than 60 of the 150 psalms are psalms of lament? More than 60. That's roughly 40% of every one of the 150 psalms is a psalm of lament. Why do you suppose those psalms of lament are included in the collection? It's because we need to learn how to grieve. We need to learn how to express the deep pain that we have. It's the psalms of lament that teach us how to navigate the storms of life while at the same time we look to God to come and stand with us in those difficult times. 
Life can be very hard. And for some people, life can be even brutal. For some people, even faithful Christian people, life is hard all the time, every day, all day long. We've already talked about our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. Don't you know that those who've been driven from their homes, those who've had family members who have died in that war, are grieving all day, every day? And think about all of the Christians in other parts of the world, Christians who suffer from famine and drought and persecution and imprisonment and even death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, how they must long for better days than what they're experiencing. Now, with this background, I want us to read very carefully and thoughtfully Psalm 42 and listen to how the psalmist cries out to God in his pain. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food all day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Did you hear the anguish of this psalmist's soul? This displaced refugee longs for the way things used to be. He grieves all day. He's crying all the time. Three times in this short psalm, he says, my soul is downcast and disturbed, and his bones literally ache as his captors laugh at him and taunt him and humiliate him, asking, where is your God? And that question, that mocking question, is especially painful to this psalmist because he has been asking himself the very same question. God, 
where are you? Yes, he's suffering. And he wonders where God is. But here's the thing. At the same time, at the very same time, he believes that God is faithful and that God can be trusted even in times of difficult circumstances. And so he's trying to balance these two ideas. On one hand, he's suffering tremendously and he's grieving in the depths of his soul. And yet, on the other hand, he believes, but God, I know you're faithful. I know you can be trusted. So how do you put these two things together? I'm suffering and you've not delivered me yet, but yet, God, I, I know I can trust you. That's why he asks himself four times in Psalms 42 and 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you see and feel the internal struggle within him? Why am I so downcast? And yet, God, I know yet I will praise you. Those two things seem to create a discord, and yet he's dealing with both of these internally. He feels something like his life is caught up in a rampaging flood that's turbulently tossing him like waves in a stormy sea, waves that are relentlessly crashing against him. It's like he's caught in a riptide. And every time he gets his feet on the ground, another wave comes and knocks his feet out from underneath him and then throws him into a wild turf that tumbles him in all directions. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 42, verse 7, he actually accuses God of being the one who's sending those waves that are tumbling over him and crashing against him. And it's almost more than he can bear. Even though he knows on one hand that God is his rock, that God is his solid foundation, on the other hand, he still wonders if God has forgotten him. So that in Psalm 43, verse 2, he asked the question, Why have you rejected me? Have you ever had times in your life when you were under such stress that you didn't know how you were going to go on? Have you suffered such outrageous loss that you sometimes wonder how you could ever recover? Have you ever been so depressed and so despondent that you really wished you could just die? Have you ever wondered if God has forgotten you, or worse, have you ever wondered if God is tormenting you for some unknown reason? Just this last Thursday, I was talking with one of the widows at our congregation. She has an adult, severely autistic daughter. And that daughter has just been diagnosed with kidney failure. They're getting prepared to start putting her on dialysis. Now try to imagine 
a severely autistic person dealing with something she can't really understand. And they're saying that the likelihood is for her to survive, she'll eventually need a kidney transplant. That mother and that autistic daughter have not been dealing with that just for a day or two, or for a week or two, or a month or two, but for a lifetime, for decades already. Just this week, I talked with a man who's in the hospital, who's had several, several heart attacks, several strokes. He's constantly been in and out of the hospital over the last year. He's currently in the hospital right now with pneumonia. The doctors ran tests and said that his heart is working at about 15% efficiency. My friend Dwayne's not been dealing with that for a week or two, or a month or two, or even a year or two, but for years. And don't you know that those two people and their family sometimes cry out in pain to God and they ask the question, why? And how long is this going to last? And God, when are you going to answer my prayers? When are you going to come to my rescue? When we hurt, is it okay to complain to God? Will God still love us if we voice our doubts and our fears? Is God displeased with us when we express our pain and our anguish and ask him questions like, why God? Why me? And when are you going to deliver me? And how long is this going to last? See, this is one of the great benefits of the Psalms of Lament. Because when you read the Psalms of Lament, you discover that all of these questions were very common to God's people. Especially when you read the prophets and you read the Psalms. Even Jesus quoted one of the Lament Psalms when he was hanging on the cross. We know that statement well. Did you know that his question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Comes from one of the Lament Psalms, Psalm 22, verse 1. And if you continue reading on down through Psalm 21, which we don't have in the New Testament, but Jesus was very familiar with this passage, the remainder of that verse asked this, Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Jesus knew that text well. And he quoted from that text and he cried those words out on the cross at the moment of his greatest agony and suffering. If Jesus can cry out those words to God, don't you think it's permissible for you and me to cry out our anguish before God? It's often at times of our greatest stress that we feel the deepest need for God. Our hearts yearn for Him. Our spirits cry out for Him. Our souls thirst for God. 
And that's why the first two verses of Psalm 42 are so powerful. These verses are beautiful, though anguished expressions of the psalmist's passionate longing for God. Imagine, if you will, a deer who is being chased by some sort of vicious predator through a dry and arid region. And her heart is just pumping out of her chest because she's running so hard. And, and she is, is thirsty and she is panting for breath. She desperately yearns just for a drink of cool water from a flowing stream. It's that imagery that the psalmist draws upon. He says so powerfully in verses 1 and 2, as the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? One of the characteristics of those 60-plus psalms of lament is that despite their uninhibited expressions of doubt and pain all of them but one and that's psalm 88 psalm 88 is the saddest psalm in the entire collection because in psalm 88 there is no expression of hope it's just doom and gloom all the way through but except for the 88th Psalm, every one of those Psalms of Lament also include words of hope and confidence in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The psalmist and the prophets did not hesitate to cry out in anguish to God. And that's very reassuring to me. Because it lets me know that when I am in pain and when I am in anguish and when I am in emotional and spiritual turmoil, that I can cry out to God and God will not reject me. That God will hear me and he will hear me with love and with compassion and with understanding. The only thing that kept this psalmist hanging on was his faith and his hope in God and this is important to hear. Even though his circumstances never improved, he never quit hoping in God. Despite it all, the psalmist praised his Savior and his God in verse 6. And although he feels God's presence, even more he feels God's absence. But he does not allow that feeling of God's absence to keep him from continuing to hope in the God that has given him life. And so he says in verse 8, I remember your love for me, God. And he continues to sing songs of worship and praise to the God who has given him life. I remind you again that four times in Psalm 42 and 43, the psalmist asked himself the probing question, Why are you downcast, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And all four times he answers his own question. All four times he answers, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, 
my Savior and my God. I don't know if you can go back and reflect upon the songs that we have already sung today, but all of those songs that we have sung today have given us that very message. That even in times of great distress, there's still hope because God is the one who will see us through and we can praise him anyway. One of the songs that we sang this morning was Randy Gill's song, Deep Calls to Deep. It is taken directly from Psalm 42. Even the title, Deep Calls to Deep, comes from verse 7. And I want to read those words again because with this background, I think the song will mean even more to you. From the depths of my soul, I cry out. From the depths of my soul, I cry out. Lord, can you hear me? Have mercy, O oh God. From the depths of my soul, I cry out. In the midst of the sea, I cry out. In the midst of the sea, I cry out. Save me. The water is over my head. In the midst of the sea, I cry out. And the chorus says, there is a time to mourn. There is a time to weep. There is a time for sorrow when deep calls to deep. In the moments of grief, I cry out. In my moments of grief, I cry out. Have you forgotten me, Lord? Where are you now? In my moments of grief, I cry out. From the depths of my soul, I cry out. From the depths of my soul, I cry out. Still, I will praise you, Lord. Still, I will praise you, Lord. Let's read Psalm 43 because I think he comes to something of a resolution to this tension that he feels. So in Psalm 43, he says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause because against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God. To God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In verse 3, the psalmist there sees two possibilities. Number one, the possibility that God may restore him to his beloved place as a worship leader there at the temple in Jerusalem. But the second possibility is that he will remain a captive, 
a refugee. But even there, as a refugee, that God will continue to guide him into his presence. And it's that second option which is far more likely that his condition will not change, that he will remain a refugee in a foreign land. And yet in verse 3, he says, he prays this prayer, send forth your light and your truth and let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Just before the offering this morning, we sang the song, Shine, Jesus, Shine. And let me remind you of the words that you sang because they speak of God's light shining out of times of darkness. They speak the very words of Psalm 43, verse 2 and 3. Lord, the light of your love is shining in the midst of the darkness shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Shine on me. Lord, I come to your awesome presence from the shadow into your presence. By the blood I may enter your brightness. Search me, consume, try me, consume all my darkness. Shine on me. That's what the psalmist was asking God to do. To shine his light and his truth into the psalmist's very dark experience to sustain his hope. And that is the same song that you and I must continue to sing with conviction. The hope that is in God through Jesus Christ. And when times are dark and hard, we must ask God to shine the light of his truth upon us. The truth that tells us that he is with us, that he will never leave us, that he will never abandon or forsake us. This is very important what I'm about to say. Although the psalmist condition did not change. He continued to put his faith and his trust and his hope in God. And three times he writes, For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Outwardly, nothing changed. But inwardly, his life and his heart found strength and hope in God. I want to close this morning by making four principles from these two beautiful psalms. Here's the first one. All God's people suffer. Being a faithful Christian does not inoculate any of us from difficulty, disappointment, sickness, or even tragedy. Sometimes we suffer because of foolish choices that we make. Sometimes we suffer because of bad choices and behaviors that other people make that end up affecting us. But sometimes we suffer for no apparent reason. We don't know why. There is no answer to the question why. We just know that we're suffering. But what you and I must remember is, is that we live in two worlds. We live in a spiritual world 
where God is in control and where we know that in his good time, all things will be made right. But we also live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world that's fallen because of sin. And in a fallen, broken world, sometimes bad things happen even to good people, even to righteous people, even to faithful, God-honoring people. So when those times come, don't be surprised because it happens to all of us. It does not mean that God has abandoned us. Here's the second principle. God understands our dark emotions and listens to our cries. Never ever fear expressing your deepest pain and your raw emotions to God. He's big enough to absorb all that. And he will listen lovingly and listen compassionately and come near to you. For years I've loved this lyric by Scott Crepane, his song titled, Sometimes He Calms the Storm. Listen. Sometimes God calms the storm with a whispered, peace, be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the winds and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm. And other times, he calms his child. So when the storms of life are raging all around you and it seems that they will never cease, cry out to God and let him calm your spirit. Here's the third principle. Praise God even in times of great difficulty. Praising God in times of trouble may not take your troubles away, but they will give you a healthy and godly perspective to deal with your troubles. Praise has the power to lift our spirits. Praise has the power to focus our attention on the Lord who can guide us through any difficulty that we're going through. So when you're deeply troubled and you don't feel like worshiping, praise God anyway. Come to worship and sing with others. Turn on that praise and worship music. Pull out your songbook, whatever you need to do, but praise him anyway. And then see how God begins to lift your spirit. And here's the last principle I want to share with you today. Seek Jesus to quench your spiritual thirst. Do you thirst for God like a deer being chased through waterless places thirsts for God? Joseph Stowell wrote these words, and I want to read them twice. We have learned to be busy for God without loving him so deeply that we can't get enough of him. Our problem is not that we don't have the capacity for longings in the depths of our being. It is that we spend our lives longing for lesser things. Let me read that one more time. 
We have learned to be busy for God without loving Him so deeply that we can't get enough of Him. Our problem is not that we don't have the capacity for longing in the depths of our being. It is that we spend our lives longing for lesser things. I don't know if my heart has ever yearned for God as deeply as the psalmist that we've read this morning, but I want to yearn for him that much, don't you? Because I know that it is only Jesus that can fulfill the deepest yearnings of my heart. I know that if I long for things that don't fully satisfy and that don't last, that it's all for nothing. I want to hunger and thirst and yearn for God. Only Jesus can quench that thirst that we have deep down in our souls. Jesus is the one who said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John 7, 37. And so we pray this morning. Lord, give us a desperate thirst for you. For you are our only hope.